Well, good morning. <laughs> I said good morning. good morning. Oh, it's so good to see you all. Thank you for that kind introduction. My name is Rob Stinnett. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And I was just telling Zach this morning, I love this church. I love this church family. Haven't Zach and Rachel and the whole team done such a great job here? I'm, um, I'm just grateful and I'm grateful to be here. And I had an experience this summer, which is Sarah and I, when we were first married, that's my wife, Sarah, right there, by the way, in the green, everybody say hi, Sarah. And so on our honeymoon, we had this conversation of like, what if one day we spent a summer in France with our kids? She is a French teacher, fluent in French, and we were like really wanted to expose our kids to French culture. So this summer, one chapel gifted me with a sabbatical, and we got to take, I have four daughters. A lot of people say, oh, four daughters, you're going to try for a boy? And I always say, I didn't know you could try for a boy. Like, <laughs> I must have missed that day in health class. Like, no, like nobody ever told me. And so, uh, no, but we have four daughters. They're absolutely amazing. And so Sarah and I took our kids to Europe for the summer and spent a bulk of it in France, like really, like we didn't want to just be tourists. We wanted to like live in the French culture. We wanted to really be a part of it. And what, one of the things that we did a lot was we went to church in France. And a newsflash, in France, they speak French at church services. <laughs> I'm a cultural expert this morning of bringing the news of what's happening. So they speak French and I'm telling you, uh, I speak very poquito, like very, very little French. And so, uh, <laughs> Very little French, and so Sarah's just like like being ministered to. It's so amazing, but I'm just like, what is happening? Like, it is so weird, y'all. It is so weird to go to church in another language where it's there, and everyone's laughing, and you're like, ah. <laughs> you're like, like, what's happening? Or even worse, everyone starts crying, and you're like, are these like good tears? Are they like happy tears? Are they like, did someone die? Like what's happening? Like it's so, it's so crazy. And so what I found in church in France was like, what I loved is when the pastor would open up scripture. Cause when the pastor opened scripture, I'm like, oh, there it is. Matthew five. Like, and I would open my Bible app and I'm reading in English and it was just like, oh, English. Like it's so good. Water to my soul. And it reminded me like of how important and how powerful scripture is of how it is the thing that unites us church around the world. But it's this thing where it's like, Hey, churches around the world, we're reading the same scriptures pointing and worshiping to the same God. And so it's so powerful. And so I, I really have a conviction of just like, okay, I'm going to use a lot of scripture this morning. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and active. Our, our, one of our words is presence that we talk about. And that word is not just a word we made up. We get this from scripture of like, hey, this idea of God, it is alive and active. It is speaking to us. And not just God speaking to us, scripture, like open it up, read it. It will speak to you. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so if it's like, oh, where's my attitude and heart right now? Open scripture and just see what it does in you, okay? And so I, I, I realize that. So we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And the other thing, going to church all around the world, is like you get to know the pastor, you get to know their story. So I'm going to try to share some with you, my story, my life, my heart. Um, a little while ago, like a little while ago, uh, someone texted me or, and said, hey, can you meet for coffee? And so I was like, yeah, sure. Let's meet for coffee. And I was going to meet with them and like had it on the calendar. And all of a sudden I went out to my car and I turned on the ignition and the car wouldn't start. 
And I was like, oh, it's already running late. The car wouldn't start. Try it again. The car wouldn't start. And so I picked up my phone and I was like, I'm sorry. My car died. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to make it today. And then I got a text back and it just said, oh. And then another text that said, I am so sorry. And then another text that said, can I just be praying for you? And I was like, this person gets it. This person is great. They're not like, oh, you're flaking on me. They're really empathetic. And then a little later in the day, the person's just like, you know, I've just been thinking about you today. Could I bring you like a meal, you and your family, a meal tonight? And just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. And I thought, this person gets it. This person gets what it means to serve and be relational. And then later on the night, he just texted again and said, you know, just checking in, seeing how you're doing. And I'm like, this is what it means to love someone. This person is awesome. And then I read my text thread again, and I looked back to the beginning, and I saw it said, my cat died. And so I was like, oh, I didn't say my car died. The text actually said, my cat died. <laughs> and so I was like, oh. <laughs> I felt really bad. Now, I don't own a cat because I'm a Christian, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you cat people. But you know, I, I saw that and I felt like, oh no, don't worry. My, don't have a cat. My car's okay. You know, all that sort of stuff. But I realized like how easy it is. We have these phones, these things in our hands that are so powerful to communicate all the time, but how easy it is for stuff to go wrong on a text thread. If anyone ever sent a text and it was totally misinterpreted of what you meant for it to say, and you're like, no, that's not the tone of voice. And now we try to use like emojis and like extra emojis or like, what does that emoji mean? Like it's just gotten worse. We can use these text threads and totally use it. And so one of the things that I've realized is we have to be really, really intentional in our relationships. And so what we're talking about, we're ta doing a series on discipleship and we have this heart graphic and it says kind of at the center of it, it says to love and obey this sort of idea of like love and obey. And that's what it is. And we talked last week about being relational and this doesn't happen without real relationship. But Jesus said this, Jesus said, come follow me, not come study me distant, but follow in an active word. Follow means that we act and respond to the leadership of Jesus. The relational nature of our disciple making is not vague, emotional, lovey-dovey platitudes, but activating our faith by obedience and challenging each other what Jesus commands us to do. And here's the thing. If you love something, you put that love into action. If you love something, you put that love into action. There was this band in the 90s called DC Talk, and they said, I don't care what you say, I don't care what you heard, the word love, love, love is a verb. And that's what they would say, because this idea of like, you love, you put it into action. And this, this is, we, if we really care about a sub, like if you've ever been to a subculture or something, you see like when they love something, there's all these rituals, there's these actions. Has anyone ever been to a football game in Texas, like sort of football game? Like, yeah, you go into a football game and you are walking into like, I'm, I'm from Colorado, I didn't know this, but you were walking into like a crazy subculture of like all this sort of stuff. And it's like, we love these teams, but as part of a love, there's like all these different things of like, if you're in Baylor, you kind of put your hand like this or UT, but like there's all these like hand gestures of like how you do it and you have to do it the right way and you sing for a song and you start dancing at a certain part. And there's all these sort of things because it's like, hey, if you love football, you don't just sit there passively. If you love this team, there are all these things that actively do, you do to express your love, that actively you do that you can say I'm a fan but people in that stands listen I'm telling you they will judge you if you're sitting down they're like oh bless your heart 
<laughs> they're like judging you. They're like, ah, he's not really a fan because if you're a fan, if you love this team, you were active, you were following, you were doing the things. How much more so should it be with our love for God? How much more so? If we love, we obey, we follow these things. There's something demonstrable. It's like, okay, I can see this person. I know they're a fan. It should be in the same way. I can see that person. I know they're a Christian. I know they follow Jesus. It is evident in their voice and their life and their heart, the way that they talk, the ethos of who they are. That's what we're talking about today. You see, making disciples doesn't happen by accident. It is intentional. And here's the thing, a lot of like powerful things, they don't happen organically, okay? Like if we really want to see results, we really want to see stuff happen, it doesn't happen organically. Like my kids, they'd go to school and they'd get these seed packets at school and then they'd kind of plant them in the middle of the yard and then kind of just like, okay, seeds, like go ahead and grow, like come to life, like that sort of thing. But it's like, no, you have to like nurture these seeds. You have to plant them in the exact right spot and make them come to life. My dishes, like dishes at home, like it's like not going to get done organically. Like the kids are not just going to be like, oh, we're going to like, we're inspired to do the dishes. We're going to do that. We're inspired to clean our room. Like that's going to happen. It's like, no, there has to be intentionality. Okay. This intentionality. If you were like a CEO or if you were like applying to be a CEO for a company and we're saying, okay, you're going to sit down. We have a great salary. I really want you to lead this company. And like, I would ask you like, okay, what is your vision? What is your heart? What would you do with this company? And if you told me like, you know, we're just kind of organically going to see what happens. We're just going to see where it goes, see what happens there. I'd be like, no, I don't see it. I don't see that. If on the other hand, if someone sat down and said, hey, I have a vision, this is where it should go, these are the steps that we'll take, these are the metrics we'll have, this is the direction that we're going, we're going to walk out and we're going to step into that, then I'd be like, okay, that person gets it. We kind of expect the same thing for our life where it's like, you know what, I'll just kind of like organically grow closer to Jesus, I'll organically become a disciple. It doesn't happen like that. There has to be intentional actions, intentional steps in your life to grow closer to God. Jesus was intentional about his relationships. If you break it down, Jesus had really close friends. He had Peter, James, and John. Jesus had a small community he did life with, his disciples, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and others. Jesus actually led an organization of, seven, of 70 or more disciples and their families. It talks about this in the Gospel of Luke, that there's 70 people that go out, and this is kind of the core team that Jesus had. And then he had large crowds, thousands he ministered to across the region. So we see, even with those relationships, it's not just like, hey, I'm relationship. Every single relationship was intentional to Jesus. He was there, and he was reacting in different sort of ways. The way he talked to his close friends was different than the way they would talk to a distant follower. There was like this uh, intentionality to it. And Jesus uh, practiced these sort of ideas. One, Jesus prayed. Two, Jesus knew the scriptures. Three, Jesus shared his life with a small group. And four, Jesus served others. And if we're talking about being a disciple, like, okay, you're using this word. What does that mean? What are we talking about? This is the list. Jesus prayed, knew the scriptures, shared his life with a small group, served others. We can just copy and paste that list and put it onto our life and say, okay, how am I doing with those things? Following Jesus means you have to put it into your schedule and into your practices with others. And so it has to be intentional, practical, tangible, and scheduled. Our lives, whenever I talk to someone, say hi to someone, and like, say, hey, how you doing? How you been? You know what the most common answer I get? Not fine, even. Most common answer, how you doing? Busy. 
Oh, I've been busy. Oh, so slammed. Who's, who said it this week? Like, I've been busy. It's been crazy. And I'm too. I feel you. I'm busy. We're slammed. I have four kids. It takes a lot. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. But we say, okay, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. Which when I hear I'm busy, what I hear is like I'm being pulled in a lot of different directions. And there are a lot of things that are competing for your time, for your heart, and for your attention. And God is a lot of times going to be the most silent thing of any of them. Okay, so other stuff is going to compete for your heart and for your attention. So, and other stuff will run your life and you say, stop, I'm running my life. I'm in charge of my soul. I'm in charge of my heart. And the first thing I'm going to do with my life is seek after God and his ways. That's what we're actually talking about. First Corinthians nine says this, do you not know that in all the race or that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize run in such a way to get the prize. So, I mean, Paul is not like a, I don't know how Paul would do in 2022. Paul's not like, hey, do you know all runners run and everyone gets a ribbon and we're all special and we're all great. Paul's like, no, no, no. In a race, do you know what a race is? Everyone's running and they're running for a prize. Run in that sort of way. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. It's not like, okay, I'm running just because I should do. It's like, no. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make up my slaves so that after I preach to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize. He's saying there's a lot at stake. And what's so interesting about this passage is what are the two things that are in stake? One is the lives of others all around Paul. But two, what's he talking about at the end? I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. He's actually looking at his own heart and own life and saying, hey, it's so easy in ministry to pour out yourself. It's so easy as a life of a believer to pour out yourself that the last person you focus on is yourself and your own walk and your own faith. It's so easy to do. And so he encourages us. Uh, He says, keep your eyes on the prize. In other words, don't run, fight, or live for Christ aimlessly. Have a purpose, have a direction. So think about what this means. It places limits on our schedule. It focuses our attention on the goal or prize. And that prize is not just a physical temporary crown, but a spiritual eternal crown. I actually think part of what that prize is, is different people that your life is going to affect. I actually think what that crown is, is even a metaphor for different people that you're going to look in heaven one day and say, see that person right over there? I had an effect on their life. So that person right over there, they had an effect on my life. We see that. Paul explains further in his first letter to Timothy. First Timothy 4 says this, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tale. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I really, that as I was reading this verse, the thing that jumped out to me is train yourself to be godly. I'm going to confess something to you this morning. I was nervous whether to confess it or not, but we're friends. I think we're friends now. So I'm going to be honest. I started CrossFit uh, a week and a half ago. Started CrossFit. And I walk in there, and I know, you're, I know you're looking at me like, that guy doesn't look like a guy who does CrossFit. I know, I know. But I walked into CrossFit, and I was there, and I looked in, and I was like, 
oh man, everyone is just so ripped. They're drinking protein shakes. I mean, they're just like, these dudes are ripped. <laughs> that like people, these women have like biceps that are like bigger than my head. And I was just like, I don't belong here. I don't fit in here. And they're doing like, I mean, they're not just like, hey, we're doing things. There's like a tire and a sledgehammer and like wrath. And it's just making their bodies into like Adonis sculptures. And I was like, Hey, anyone here into Star Wars? You know, like, I'm, like, I'm like, I don't like this play. And so, and I have to admit this. There are two thoughts that scream inside my head every time I step into that gym. Two thoughts that I like war with. And these two thoughts are this. I'm not made for CrossFit. I'm not actually made for this. My body is not made to do what that person's body is. That person is different. They're not a human being. Like they're not like me. <laughs> I like queso way too much. Like, uh, I'm not the same. I'm not made for CrossFit. And then here's the real one that haunts me. If like, I'm going to be really vulnerable and honest, I'm not going to get any results from CrossFit. I'm going to tell one chapel Lake Travis, like, Hey, I started CrossFit. And then, you know, a month later, three months later, I come and they're like, ah, so you've been getting any results. Like, is it anything like that? You changed all physically. Have you changed all? Has it mattered to you? And I think these two things are actually what happens in your hearts and minds as I'm preaching this sermon right now. I think that's what's really going on for some of you as you're like, I'm not a Christian the way Zach Silver is a Christian. I'm not that close to God. I'm not cut that sort of way. Or yeah, I'm a Christian like that, but I'm going to do all these things, Rob. I'm going to try. I'm going to be a disciple and it's not really going to matter. My same problems are still going to be there. My same heartache. My boss is going to be horrible. My marriage is going to be in the same shape. My kids still won't talk to me. There's not going to be the results. Nothing's going to change. I'm going to do it and I'm still on a merry-go-round and nothing's going to happen. I want to give you permission for something, which is for the rest of 2022, that inner critic that says I'm not made for this, give them a break. Put them on the sideline and have faith once again. Have faith once again in your mind and your heart, not like it's always been like this the way in the past. It's going to be like, I know ways, Rob, I've done small groups before. I fall before. I've done all the things. I've served on the teams. I know how it goes. I know that, stop, stop. Follow the words of scripture and have faith again that, hey, I am made for something. And if I step into these words of God, there's going to be an impact in my life like I've never seen before. Getting all preachy up here, sorry. <laughs> Disciple making is about training each other in godliness, not trying to be godly. Okay? This is the key idea. This is what I want us to all really get, which is like, hey, it's not like part of the reason that you're scared is like, ah, am I really godly? Am I the godly one? Am I the holy one? Am I the spiritual one? Stop it. That's not what it is. There's something powerful about training each other in godliness. I talked to a friend recently and he uh, was really, he doesn't go to one chapel. He's not even in Austin, but he was really going through a hard time. And we've been friends for 20 years and he knows God. He served that sort of stuff. And he knows I'm a pastor, but it's kind of like our friendship. We don't really talk about that stuff because he's a little distant from God. And there's kind of this unspoken thing of like, ah, we, he doesn't really want to hear about it. So I just kind of talk with him and check up on him. And it was late one night and he was just going through something really, really tough in his life. And I just stopped and I said, you've tried every single thing to fix your life and fix your problems, but Jesus, you've tried everything else. And I just spoke truth to him in his life. And he started crying on the phone. And he's like, 
He's like, you're right. He's like, you've never talked to me like this before. And I said, I don't know. I, th- I thought it would put a barrier on friendship or I thought you'd feel preached at or something like that. But he's like, no, I needed to hear this. Thank you for having the courage to tell me the truth. Thank you for that. And, and like, it, it's hard. It's so much easier. It's easier to preach at you guys around my kids, but this person who's like a peer level, it's like, I don't want to preach at him. But I was like, listen, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not trying to get you to do anything. I love you. And I want you to be set free. And I'm so tired of seeing you trapped in this. God can set you free. I can't. YouTube videos can't. Your own willpower can't. God can. I believe he can work a miracle in your life. And it was this breakthrough and this conversation. And it wasn't about me trying to be godly. It's about training each other in godliness. And so, I mean, the same thing when I, I stepped into CrossFit, I talked about it and I was there and I was trying to do this move. And I was like, I look like such an idiot. Like this guy does it so smooth. And I'm like, ah, I'm just, it's just not natural to me. And I felt like such a fool. Do, they do this thing called deadlift. And the reason they call it deadlift is there's an 80% chance you will die <laughs> doing this move. Did not know that. 80% chance to die. And so, so I'm there and just these jacked guys are doing it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to do it. And I was there and I felt like such a fool when I did it. And this guy next to me is like, dude, I know that was hard for you. That was awesome. You stepped up and you gave your all. And it just filled me with this faith and strength of like, oh, he saw me trying. I wasn't perfect at it, but he saw me trying and going for it. One Chapel Lake Travis, I want you to be the church that sees someone do something else and call that out. Don't think it. Don't think like, oh, that person's a really great greeter. Oh, thank you for watching my kids. Don't think it in your head and then just walk out of this place. Speak it with your mouth. Understand that? Speak it out loud. Okay? That's what we're doing. Pop quiz this morning. Pop quiz for you, for all of us. And you don't have to answer this out loud, but we need to think about these two questions. When was the last time you did something to help someone grow closer to Jesus? When was the last time you made space or asked for someone else to help you grow closer to Jesus? So I'm going to ask those two questions one more time. When was the last time you did something to help someone grow closer to Jesus? When was the last time you made space or asked someone else to help you grow closer to Jesus? Those questions, maybe some of you think have something right in your head right away. Maybe some of you say it's been a long time. Maybe some of you say never. When we're talking about like 100% participation, what we're talking about is everyone taking a step here. Just simple things of like, okay, how do we help each other to practice the ways of Jesus together? And so I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, not trying to sell you something. I'm actually trying to share life with you of like, this is something that we can all do. And it can be simple. And I don't mean to feel guilty. This is not about trying harder. Trying is about pushing and pressing. This is about identity. Everyone say identity. This is about identity and becoming. Trying is performing and perfection. Identity and becoming. This is who I am is what I'm talking about. For me, I'm a writer at heart, and I write because I love words. I love stories, and no one has to make me do it. It's like, no, my heart is gravitating towards these things. My heart gravitates towards telling stories. I think about it. I live it. It's part of my identity. In the same way, being a Christ follower is part of my identity. I think about these things. Second Timothy says this, back to Paul's letter. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. 
Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. And so he's using all these analogies, right? He's using the analogy of a soldier, the analogy of an athlete, the analogy of the farmer, and saying, hey, look, the way that these things work, that's the, that's the same system that we can apply in our own life. Discipline is not about works, but about being uh, immersed in grace, in God's favor. And so really what we're talking about here is a life of consistency and reproduction, passing on what God has done to you, evaluating who's reliable, seeing the bigger picture. And for some of us, we go and we're like, okay, I want to go, I'm going to jump in, I'm gotten the notes today, I'm going to see all the things, I'm going to make the thing, going to make the difference. But the truth is we can't rush this stuff. We have to have a life of diligence and vigilance. So you look at the examples again. The athlete, training means no shortcuts for winning. Only compete by the rules. You can't win the race unless you know the rules. If someone says, you know what? I'm going to kind of organically train for a marathon and then I'm going to go and run 26 miles. Oh man, watch what happens. It's not going to be pretty. It's like, no, if you've, if you've ever run a marathon or known someone who runs a marathon, there is a strict like, okay, you push yourself as hard as you can and then you get a little harder and you push yourself as hard as you can and then you get a little bit farther and farther and farther. And that's what it means to run a marathon. The farmer, same sort of ideas. Farmers are close to their crops. They know the fruit of their labors. Farmers understand the seasons of seed time and harvest, weather and calendar. There's a cyclical nature to the process. And so I think so many of us, we just want to force it. We want to make it happen. We want to make it happen, but it doesn't. And then if it doesn't happen right away, we think up, oh, it's all going to fall apart. I, <laughs> quick, quick side story. I remember this moment, uh, we were doing a big Christmas production and it was there in front of the whole church. Like it was Ross and Brent and I back at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. And we were there and we were going to do this big kind of epic moment uh, where Brent was actually like, it was like this kind of kid's moment. And he was actually going to sing under the sea in front of the whole church. And so we're there and it, he was, it, we were the night before the show and then the violins were going and Brent was going, we couldn't get them all in sync. And so Ross was just like, you know what? We're going to have you lip sync uh, this and we're just going to like play the track and then the violin will play. And Brent was like, this is a bad idea. It's not going to work. And Ross is like, you know what? We got to rush to an answer. It's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And so just kind of goes for the quick fix. So all of a sudden, it's the night of the show. Brent steps out there in the crab costume. And then all of a sudden, they go, they hit play on the track, and the orchestra plays. But the click track got off just a little bit. And if you're a musician, you know, it's like three seconds behind. And it just sounded like the worst sound in the world. It was like just cats being hit by a lawnmower. It was just like, it was just, it was just like so bad. And it's there. And Brent's like, under oh, this. But he's just like lip syncing, like in the crab, happy crab suit. And it was just so awful. And everything, the sound was so off. And he couldn't fix it because the track is playing. And he was just trapped out there like a happy crab, like doing this. And I, and I was hosting the night. And so I was standing backstage and I had my headset mic on. And I was like, oh man, he is bombing out there. <laughs> Oh man, that guy is dying. And then he goes, and what I didn't know was that my, the monitor was live in his ear. So as I'm saying, oh man, he's bombing out there. My words are like playing in his headset. So he's like happy. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is going so bad. <laughs> and then at the end of the song, he walks off stage and I was just like, bro, that was great. You did a great job. <laughs> and he looked at me like threw his crab claws down and just walked off like <laughs> we're never talking again. 
I think this is a picture of us in our life sometimes. We're like, okay, I'm just going to take all these elements and slap them together and try to make it work and make it happen, and then it'll be okay, and then it goes really, really wrong. I want you to take a deep breath, everyone. I love what Zach did this morning. Take a deep breath. <sighs> Slow down. And I think there's four simple steps that you can do to live intentionally. Step one is this. Pray and think deeply about who you will practice the ways of Jesus with. We're talking, hey, go to a group. Hey, find some people, that sort of stuff. Have you prayed and asked, God, Lord, who am I supposed to be in a group with? Who am I supposed to be connecting with? Just pray and ask that question and wait and be silent and listen and see what happens. I have a good suspicion God's going to plant some people in your heart and your mind if you boldly pray that prayer. Who should that be? Once you pray that prayer, the second thing you do is you have to create space for practicing the ways of Jesus. You have to look at your schedule, you have to look at your life, and you have to create space for it. I just started coaching my uh, daughter's volleyball team, this group of, of fifth graders doing volleyball. And I told them like, okay, if you really want to be, if we want to be an elite team, you all have to do a hundred serves this week. Like go and practice it on your own time. You can't just show up once at practice for an hour and be a good volleyball player. You have to live it out in your life. The same is true in church. You can't just show up on Sunday. Sunday morning is not going to do all the work for you. It's just not. Okay. You have to create space during the week to practice these things. Paul keeps talking about athlete. It's such a common metaphor. You know, the people don't just show up to the games and play. Have you seen, again, Texas football players? Like, well, there's a high school right by my uh, house. Those kids get up early and they're practicing and they're working. Some of them will never even get on the field, some of those kids. They're never going to get on the field, but they're there at 5 a.m. doing push-ups, running because they love it so much and they believe in it so much. That same sort of idea of like, okay, are we creating space to practice the ways of Jesus? What do you do with this space? Well, number three, once you have the people, once you create that space and you get together, you need to ask good questions and offer prayer. Ask real questions. So many times in our life, we connect and talk with people and we say, okay, how's the weather? What have you been up to? That sort of stuff. Don't ask those type of questions. Ask questions that bring real answers. What's bringing joy right now? What is something you're afraid of that's weighing on you? What's challenging you? I'm going to tell you a secret, and if you ever repeat it outside this room, I'm going to deny it and say, I didn't say that. Zach Silver is the best pastor on our staff at asking really good intentional questions. He's really good at it. If you're like, if you're like I don't know how to do it, hang out with Zach for, a, for an hour. I promise you, you will learn how to ask questions. Bring a notebook and, ooh, that's a good question. Like, I'm going to steal that. He'll let you. He'll let you steal any question he asks, I think. Uh, and so, but you do, and it's amazing if you ask the right questions, the answers that you will get. Questions that really probe and that sort of stuff. And then give permission for other people to ask you those sort of th questions. I went out to coffee with this guy uh, last week and he told me about how he left his church. And he said, uh, yeah, I left my church. He's like, I was there for 10 years and then I stopped coming. And he's like, nobody ever texted me. Nobody ever knew, no one ever noticed. And I said, oh man, I'm so sorry. And I said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, did you ever text anyone and ask him, hey, are you at church today? Hey, are you at? Did you ever do it once? He said, no. I said, did you really think someone was gonna text you back? and ask, where were you at? Were you actually doing what you expected someone else to do? Were you actually living with that sort of conviction? Don't wait for someone else to be the one who takes initiation. You can do it, each one of you. I'm looking you in the eye. 
telling you, I believe that you can do it. Ask the right sort of questions. And then give yourself permission to not be offended. Like we talked about the text thread. People ask a question, you're like, ah, that's a little bit too much, too far. You can say it. You don't have to answer every question. Like, oh, I'm not ready to talk about that yet. And that's part of the reason why we create space and do it over and over again, because it may be coffee number five or six or seven or eight that you really get to the real stuff. I kind of call it like the campfire moment. Have you ever just sat around a campfire all night? Like just sat from like, you know, sundown to like two in the morning and just sat around the campfire? At first, you're just kind of talking about sports and whatever else. And there's this moment though where you're like, okay, I'm gonna really tell you what's going on in my heart and your heart just opens up and the real stuff flows out. When we're talking about relationships, we're talking about intentionality to create the space to really be honest and share that stuff that's really going on and wrestle through it pray for each other. During the week, if you're walking into a big meeting, I was talking with Travis this morning. He's like, ah, lots been going on at work. I'm walking into a big meeting. I'm like, man, if you're walking into that, Travis, like send me a text, say, hey, can you pray for me going into this meeting? Like you don't have to take all this stuff on your own. Let's be a culture where it's like, hey, we're praying for each other. We're encouraging each other. And so that's number four. Final thing is be honest and encouraging. Good questions kind of, you know, are intentional questions, but if people ask you good questions, the key is like, are you going to be honest and are you going to be vulnerable? And I don't think you have to do that right away. In fact, I should be, think you should be really wise about who you share stuff with, like kind of build that bridge of trust. So I'm not saying, hey, that first thing, ask the big epic questions and then give all the answers. That's not what I'm saying at all. We're ta- we talked about relationship last week. And so once you have this foundational relationship, you need to ask people, have people you can talk about the stuff with. So much of our life happens in the echo chamber of our own mind and everything goes crazy and then we spill it all out on Facebook or we snap at someone or something else like that. That's not the way of God. Really be honest and encouraging and find the good ways to do it. Everything that I'm really talking about is just laid out in James chapter five, starting at verse 13, which says this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. So if anyone's going on in trouble here, let's pray together. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So many times we bring all of our sad stuff. When, we, when I say prayer requests, it's like all the sad stuff. Be a church, be a people, bring praise reports, bring good news. For every bad news, like try to find things. There is so much, we have so much to be thankful for. I'm telling you, I went to Europe for six weeks. America is the best place on earth. Like God bless it. Like H-E-B is amazing. We have ice and refills everywhere. Be thankful for ice. Be thankful. Air conditioning is real. The rest of the world does not have air conditioning. You're like, oh, it's so hot in Texas. We have the most amazing air conditioning. There is so much to be thankful for that we just kind of take for granted. We just take it for granted. When I was in, when I was in Europe, uh, I was there and I thought about Germany and it was like, remember the Berlin Wall? Who remembers the Berlin Wall? Like it was there. It was such a big deal when the Berlin Wall fell and then all of a sudden people could walk from one side to the other and families were hugging and it's such a big deal. Eventually, like now it's like, oh, it's not that big a deal anymore. Like the kids and grandkids, they forgot what a big deal it is. Don't let your faith become commonplace where you forget what a big deal it is that you have the living God in your heart and your life. Don't let it become commonplace. Is anyone among you sick? Let the elders of the church pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Uh, I want to have, do we have keys? I want to invite Wesley or keys or someone to come on up here. We're, we're going to go ahead and close out in just a moment here. But following Jesus simply means learning from him how to arrange my life, 
around other activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. So is the fruit of your Spirit coming out of your life? Are you arranging activities to do that? Paul embraced a strategic model of spiritual growth that was reproductive and transferable. And so the last idea that I want to talk about this morning is just the Gospel of Matthew talks about the wise and the foolish builders. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, we're talking about obey, we're talking about intentionality, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I want to invite you all to stand up. I want to say this. In the local church, in one chapel Lake Travis, we need more rocks. We need people who are building their lives and building their hearts on the foundation of the words of Jesus. And I believe that we can be a church that does that. And when we do that, when we built our life on the rock, it means storms are going to come. Like, I have news for you. Like, difficult days may be ahead. Good days are ahead too. But no matter what days are ahead, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to be taken down by a storm. I know who I am. I know what identity that I have. And my foundation is in Jesus. And if you have that foundation, you're going to be okay. The gospel says, take heart for I've overcome the world. We can take heart this morning. Jesus is one. So I want you to be that rock and that salvation. So Wesley, do we have a song? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then I want to just uh, close in a little time of worship this morning. And I just want to invite you to, like, sing this song out to the Lord. And just do those, just pray over these ideas this morning of, like, how can I live my life praying for God? Who would you have in my life? And that may be your own family. That may be people in this room. But who do you have in my life that I'm really practicing your ways with? And how can I create that space? I may feel, Rob, you don't understand. You don't see my schedule. Like, I feel overwhelmed. I can't fix it. I can't fix your schedule. But have you brought it to God? At least do that. Bring it to God. Like, okay, God, give me the wisdom of how to implement this in my life. So I want us to worship Jesus and pray, and pray together for a little bit. And then Zach will close out in just a moment. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this amazing church family, Lord. I thank you for the hearts and lives that are in this room, Lord. I thank you for the miracles that have taken place and will take place in this room, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our lives, Lord. We want to be disciples because ultimately we want to grow closer to you and we want to help others grow closer to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.